Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. Uh, tonight, I believe God has uh, put a word on my heart, and I'm excited to share it with you. Uh, I've got one scripture very quickly, Romans 8, 28, very, very, I guess, famous portion of scripture. And there it is. We know and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And we know that all things work together for good. All things work together. Now, when right now might not feel so good. And I can't promise that tomorrow's going to feel so good. But one thing I do know is that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So tonight I want to speak for just a few moments on this thought, the gamble of the enemy, the gamble of, or the enemy's gamble. Sorry, there you go. The enemy's gamble. Uh, Growing up in, in elementary school, They have one of my favorite courses ever invented, and I still don't know the man's name that invented it. Maybe it was Mr. Recess, but recess is wonderful. It was wonderful, and I didn't even really appreciate it until you get into the working field and you realize there's no recess. And I mean, you get a 15-minute break, but all you can think about is I have to go back to work, right? But um, a recess is splendid. It's just great. You get to go outside. You get to run around, maybe play a game of football, play, uh, you know, soccer, whatever you play, uh, hang out with your friends. And uh, my friends and I, we used to have multiple games that we would play. We made them up. I guess that's what kids do, right? And one of our favorite games, we called it Hockey's Greatest Hits. And hockey, it's a sport you play on skates. But anyways... But uh, it was fantastic. What we did, it was a bunch of like sixth graders, and we would just literally run as hard as we could into each other. Like that was the game. You just like, it was a bunch of boys, right? And we're just running, we're throwing ourselves at each other, and it was, it was, it was dangerous. And, and then we would also, did anyone ever do this on their playground? You'd like plug up the slide, and you, somebody would sit at the bottom of the slide, and everyone else would like, get behind them, and everyone would get, like, crammed onto a slot. Did anyone else do that? Okay, good, good. I've got some hands. Thank God. I wasn't alone. And we'd come in for, I promise you, I feel like I might have had a concussion multiple times, had no clue, but, uh, but you know, at, at recess, we didn't have the luxury of cell phones. We didn't have it. And we, we, you know, we had to use this thing called an imagination, and we, we ran with it, right? And it was fantastic. But one of the things that would happen during the time of recess was you would maybe challenge somebody else maybe you would hope was slower than you. And you'd say, I bet you I can beat you to the fence over there. Oh, yeah? What do you bet me? Well, I, I bet you my fruit roll-up, or I bet you, you know, whatever I've got in my, you know, these two quarters I've got in my pocket. But you would use that little phrase right there. You'd be like, I bet you I can do it. And you would always think to yourself, I'm not going to challenge the fastest kid, because that's, that's probably not, even though I was super fast. But, um, 
But you're not going to challenge the quickest kid. You're going to look for somebody that you know has, like, some clumpy feet, you know, and they can't quite get it all together, and you're like, I'm going to bet them. And, and, uh, or, or, and so you would have this race, and maybe somebody else would take you up on your challenge, you know. Maybe that quicker kid overheard and was like, oh, the bet's on, man. Let's go. What are you betting? And, uh, and you would be like, well, maybe if I double down, they'll, they'll like, get intimidated, and they won't want to run. And so you'd like double down. Well, how about we, uh, you know what? The fence is like really close. Like I'd beat you there. So how about we run to like that tree over there? And you'd, you'd try to like intimidate them with this bet and, and you'd go for it. And in those moments, you're just like, oh, I hope I win. I wanted that fruit roll up so badly, right? You're just hoping I win this bet. As I've grown older, it's not so much about a race anymore, except now it's more like intellect, right? It's like uh, my wife and I will be sitting in the car, and we'll, we'll be talking about something, and all of a sudden, it'll be like, oh, you think that's the way it is, right? You, like, or she'll say it, and she'll be like, you think that's how it is. How about we Google this? And so instead of saying, I bet you, it's like Google has become like the new betting system, right? Like, let's Google this. And, and okay, well, if I'm right, what, what are you going to do? What, what, you know, like, I'll cook dinner for you or, you know, whatever. And we'll have this, like, betting system. Has anyone ever used that term, like, I, I bet you, or do, do you want to bet? Has anyone done that before? Okay, more hands. Good. Okay. The thing is, it's not just kids on the recess field, and it's not just you know, a married couple in, in a Toyota Corolla having these bets. The fact of the matter is we have an enemy called the devil who is still wanting to gamble a little bit. I mean, just you don't even have to get past the book of Job, okay, to see the devil gambling with God. I mean, he walks into God's presence and he goes, God, I bet you. That if you take away this man's wealth, he's going to turn his back on you. And, and, and God's like, well, sure, man, I'll take you up on that. And the devil goes down, takes away his wealth, and what? There Job stands still worshiping God. And, you know, the devil tries to double down on it, goes back up into heaven, and, and he talks to God, and he says, you know what? If you take away his family, I bet you he's not going to worship you anymore. All right, man, let's go. Bring it on. Bring it on. And sure enough, and then the devil goes all in, and he says, I bet you if you take his health away from him, that's going to be the kicker. And sure enough, what happens? There, Job's standing. Though, you know, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. And, and the devil lost the bet. See, the devil knows the truth. The devil knows that God is working things together for good for those that love God and are called according to to his purpose. The devil knows it, but his bet is that in the time between the hurt and the miracle, the time between the situation and the turnaround, the time between the problem and God working it out for your good, he is going to get you to give up. His bet is that you are going to throw in the towel on that time between the goodness of God and the problem that is staring me in the face. He wants to make sure that if he can get you to throw in the towel in between those two moments, you will never experience the goodness and the promises of God that he has for you. But Job was not the only time that the enemy tried to cut someone off from what God had for an individual or for his people. 
In fact, in the book of Esther, which is where we're going to be going tonight, we see the enemy trying to snuff out the whole nation of Israel. And there is one man by the name of Mordecai who is a great example for us to go by and to see how to walk through situations and to come out on the other side with all that God has for us. And so tonight, I want to talk about this man by the name of Mordecai. See, number one, here's what the enemy wants you to do. You can throw that up, Jason. Number one, the enemy wants you to bow. He wants you to bow. He wants you to bend the knee to, to him, to the culture, to the situation going on around you. He wants you to bend the knee and say, okay, I'm willing to turn from God and bend to whatever's going on around me. That's the first thing. In Esther chapter number three, we read about a man by the name of Haman. And Haman is made the leader. Really, he's like a step down from the king. He's made like one step lower than the king. And when Haman would ride out into the square, everyone would just like honor him. That was like, it was a big deal, but he like made it a big deal. It was kind of strange. And so everyone's bowing, everyone's bowing, everyone's bowing. And then there's Mordecai, this Jew, deciding this isn't right. I am not going to bow to this man. And he stays standing. And everyone's like, oh my goodness, did you see Mordecai? Like he's standing. Look at him. Who does he think he is, right? Like, what's he doing? And Mordecai continues to stand. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out, what, what's up with you, Mordecai? Why are you doing this? And he finally tells them, well, I'm a Jew. I, I don't just bend to anybody. I don't bend my knee to just anybody. And they're like, okay, he, he's a Jew. All right. See, they didn't care he was a Jew before he took the stand. It was not until Mordecai took a stand for something that they no longer agreed or had an issue with his systems of belief. See, people, they're not going to care if you're a Christian. They don't care. That's great. You go to church on Sunday? Fantastic. Wonderful. You go to church on Wednesday? Twice a week. Wow, you must be really good, right? And they don't care you're a Christian. But when you take a stand for something that just kind of waves in the face of culture, waves in the face of how everyone else does does things, you, you stand against something that's mainstream and stand against something that the Bible says is one way and the rest of the world says it's a different way, all of a sudden when you stand, people are going to look at you and they might not care that you're a Christian for all this time, but when you take one stand, all of a sudden they're going to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, that guy, he's a Christian. All of a sudden, that that woman, she's a Christian. And they're going to have an issue with your beliefs. See, the enemy, he, he, all through the Bible, you see this, like, obsession with wanting to make Christians and Jews bow to kings and princes and to the rulers of the, of the air. I mean, you, you go into the book of Daniel and see the three Hebrew kids. You, you walk through Exodus and watch as all these Israelites are bowing to a golden statue. Man, you go into Deuteronomy and read about Moses speaking to the Israelites saying, don't bow to Baal, don't bow. Like the, the enemy has this obsession with wanting to get people to bow to him. And it hasn't changed here in 2018. And now, obviously, we're not getting down on two knees and, and, and bowing down anymore, right? That's not quite what it looks like. But in your mind or in your heart, there can be a bowing down taking place. 
And it comes from, from this place where it's like, okay, I'm willing to give in to that ideology. I'm willing to give in to that thought process. And the devil is just saying, ha, I've got them. I've got them in this dark place, this place where they thought that they were, you know, they were going to get a promise. They were going to get this goodness of God in this dark place. I will get them to bow to me. I will get them to bow to this ideology. God's not going to come through for them. God's not. And you'll bend the knee to this lie that the enemy has told you. See, so Mordecai, he upsets Haman. Haman's, you know, upset. He's not bowing. He's a Jew. And, and Haman, he gets angry. He's like, who is this guy? What is he doing? He's a Jew. Oh, I'm going to tear him apart. So he decides, well, I'm not only going to kill Haman and like talk about dramatic, but whatever. He's like, I'm not just going to kill him. I'm going to kill all the Jews. I'm like, I'm reading it. I'm like, wow, that's okay. You really took this up a notch, man. Like you got mad at one dude and you're going to kill all of his people. But he decides I'm going to kill them. If they won't bow, if they, like, I don't know what they think God's going to do for them, but if they're not going to follow through with and understand who I am, I'm just going to kill them. And so the king, he goes to the king and says, hey, you, do you realize there's a group of people in our nation and they don't live by our laws and they don't do what you say? And the king is like, oh, okay. And he seems kind of like a, a, a kind of a bumbling man. And, and he's like, well, if you say so. And he takes his signet ring and he signs it from Mordecai and says, do whatever you got to do, man. Here's some money. And he just throws money at the problem. And, 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 and Mordecai is like, yeah. Or Haman's like, yeah, I got what I wanted. And so... We realize very quickly, if the enemy cannot get you to bow, he's going to do everything he can to try to kill you. He's going to do everything he can to try to kill you. And I'm not, I promise this isn't like looking for a demon under every rock tonight, and I'm not going to be Mr. Darkside tonight. But the enemy, just get this here real quick, if the enemy can't get you to bow, if you're not going to bow to his way and go to his thought and give in to his lies that you, you know, won't be healed or give in to his lies that this is just the way it is with my family or give in to his thought processes that this is just the way it's going to be in my marriage, if you're you're not going to give into it, well, then I'm just going to take you out. I'm just going to go after you. So Haman, here he is, stepping up his hatred, steps up his game, uh, and goes after the whole Jewish people. And the enemy of your soul is going to do the exact same way. If he cannot get you to bow through circumstances, he will do his best to get you whatever way possible. I love how our pastor puts it, the devil, he's a good devil. He's been doing it a long time. He knows what he's doing, and, and he, he doesn't play fair, right? He goes after your family. He goes after your children. He'll go after your, your health. He'll go after your finances. He'll go after your, your state of mind. He'll go after whatever he can get his hands on because he's a gambler, and he's going to do whatever he can to make sure that he wins this bet. Make sure that you give up and say, well, no, I'm, I'm, it's not worth it anymore. I'm not fighting anymore. I'm, I'm not going after it anymore. Those promises that God, he promised me, well, that's great, but I, I don't know if I've got the fight anymore. And the devil, he just fights and fights and fights, all in an effort to kill and to destroy your relationship with God. Jesus told us that the thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to, to destroy but he came to bring life and life more abundantly. And so, if we hold on to that promise, hold on and know that, you know what? I've got something greater 
inside of me. I've got something greater fighting for me. If God is for me, who can be against me? And we've got to understand that and know that he is for us. So Haman goes to the king like I told you, and, and the, these awful people, we've got to get rid of them. And Haman does not realize, he doesn't even realize this, but already God is starting to work things together for the good of the Israelites, right? Here he has already placed Esther. This beautiful young woman is now the queen. And, and, and here's Haman wanting to, Haman wanting to, Haman, <laughs> Here's Haman wanting to destroy these Jewish people, not even understanding that the queen herself is a Jew. None of that crosses his mind, but in the midst of this darkest and scariest moment, God has already made a way of escape. So number one, the enemy wants you to bow, but you can't bow. And when it feels like he's going to kill you, hold on, don't give up. And then understand this, your consistency Your consistency, your walk with God will keep you no matter how you feel. One thing I've learned in my short 32 years on this planet, our emotions are very, very strong. They can be very, very strong. And emotions are very good co-pilots, but they are awful pilots. If you allow your emotions to drive, you're going to be in for a world of hurt. But if you bring your emotions, emotions aren't bad things, but they're things that you need to understand. Okay, you can co-pilot here, but I'm in control, right? And your consistency, your walk with God, it will keep you no matter how you feel. Now, understand this. Consistency can be boring. Do you understand that? Consistency is boring. Uh, And I'm going to slam on the San Antonio Spurs here for a minute, Trey. But the San Antonio Spurs had this man by the name of Tim Duncan. He was a center. He was seven feet tall, and he was the most boring basketball player that you will ever watch. They called him Mr. Fundamental, and literally, he would get the ball about three feet from the hoop, and he wouldn't dunk it. Like, that wasn't, I know, Duncan. You would think he'd just dunk it, right? But that wasn't who Tim Duncan was. He would stand about three feet from the basketball, from the net, and he would bank it. He had learned the perfect angle to shoot this basketball, and he would bank it off the backboard and into the net. It was so boring. But the man, like, rarely missed. And his team went on to win, like, five championships over the course of his 21-year career. They were boring but they were consistent. They literally didn't miss the playoffs one year of him being on the team. But they were boring. But it didn't matter. They won. Consistency can be incredibly boring. Waking up and praying in the morning and not having someone to like the fact that you just prayed in the morning, that can be, like, sad, right? It's like, well, somebody needs to know I prayed. Or you open up your Bible and you read and you're like, oh, should I, should I post this on Instagram? I just, you know, good shot of like, here's my coffee, here's my Bible, let me get it, right? And you want to post it on Instagram and it's like, man, this is so cute. And, uh, and you want to post it. But your consistency is you in your prayer closet. No one else knowing that you're praying. You reading the word of God, allowing that word to get inside of you. That is consistency. Having a time set apart in your day, whether it's in the morning, whether it's in the night, whether it's sometime in the midday. Having a time set apart, that's consistency. See, it can be so easy in life to allow consistency to kind of go by the wayside, right? Right? Because Monday night prayer is rolling around. 
oh, there's better things to do on a Monday night than just go hang out with a bunch of people that aren't even going to talk to me. They're just, you know, kneeling into their chair talking to God. Like, don't they know I'm here, right? Like, it can be so boring to go to a Monday night prayer meeting. But that's consistency. That's building on a relationship with God. I know that there's sports practices to go to and swimming lessons and, and places to go on weekends. And, 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 you know, it doesn't really matter, right, if we're there on Sunday or not. I mean, there'll be other people to fill those seats. But consistency, it matters. Well, you know, I'd rather watch one more episode of whatever I'm binge watching at the moment than pray. I would rather hang out with my friends just a little bit longer than get home and make sure to read my Bible before I go to sleep. And I don't know if you realize this, it's a new feature on your phone, but it literally tells you how much screen time you have on a daily basis. It's the worst. Yeah. It's the worst new feature ever. Because, like, I've had to repent. Literally, I, Jesus and I had to get alone, and I had to repent about my screen time. And, like, each week I see it slow. It's not, like, 100%, y'all. I haven't been able to dial it back perfect, but it's like, wow. And then you start adding it up because it's, like, daily, how much time you spend daily. It's scary, y'all. I mean, maybe not for you, but for me. And we need to understand that our phones don't need more attention than our prayer lives. Our phones don't need more attention than our, than our spiritual walk with God. And then we understand, then we try and wonder why, why am I not able to stand the way, you know, maybe those three Hebrew boys did? Why am I not able to stand the way that Mordecai stood? Why am I not able to stand the way that Jesus stood or any of these other men in the New Testament? But you got to know, Jesus got away and he prayed. These people got away and they, they studied the word of God. It was all about those small, consistent moments. When everything else is dying around us, when everything else seems to be going to the wayside, why are we not seeing the things of God, those promises of God being fulfilled in our lives? Here's the truth. He's called us to walk with him. He's called us to walk in unity with him. I love, you know, Paul talks about a race in the New Testament. He talks about training. He talks about laying aside every weight that will so easily beset you. And it's so important, everyone, to understand that this is just, it's, it's not a sprint. It's like a marathon, right? It's time. It's consistency. Mordecai, he was consistent. His faith was part of his every day. He would react when he needed to, but overall, he was not a man that was reactionary. He was a man that was proactive. His consistency, his walk with God, put him in the places that he needed to be. So when the enemy started attacking him and started gambling on him, And when the enemy started gambling against the Jewish people, he was able to step up and speak into that situation. See, things got darker and darker in that that moment, right? Like all of a sudden, this signet ring has now sealed the Jews' fate. And there's Mordecai walking into Esther's room, his, his niece's room, and saying, okay, girl, I believe God's placed you here for such a time as this. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mordecai, what do you mean? And he's like, well, understand, you're now the queen. You've got the king's ear. And she said, no, it's not quite like that. I mean, he's sitting on his throne, and if I walk into his room, and he he doesn't want me there and doesn't raise his scepter to say, you're welcome, young lady, like, I'm dead. And she's like, whoa, like, what do you mean? But because of Mordecai's consistency, he was able to look at Esther and say, Esther, 
Maybe it's for such a time as this that you've been placed in this situation. But understand, Esther, that even if you do not go before the king and do what I'm asking you to do, God's going to bring deliverance for his people. And it might not come by you if you don't want to do this, but it's going to come. You know why Mordecai was able to say that? You know why in the midst of this dark time between what he felt was a promise from God and the situation staring him in his face, he had a consistency with God. He had a walk with God. His Jewish faith was leading him and guiding him. He was saying, no, 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 no. I've spent time with God. I've done my ritual. I've done what I've needed to do. And so when you walk into these dark situations in life, it can be so easy to let your emotions and your feelings kind of get in the way. And you can be like, well, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like going to church. What good does it do anyways? I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like being, I don't feel. But your consistency is going to say, you know what? It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter if I feel like my prayers are hitting the roof or not. I'm going to continue to pray. I don't care if it just feels like my time of fasting is wasted opportunity of eating good food. I'm going to fast anyways. Hammond, you really, Haman literally started to build Mordecai, his own personal gallows. Can you imagine? Literally, he was going to hang Mordecai by a gallow with Mordecai's name on it. That's intimidating. You want to talk about a situation facing you like right on? This guy was waking up, walking, doing his daily rituals, and there is like a hangman's noose being built with his name on it. And he's like, okay, well, there it is. And he's just doing life. Consistency, consistency. I mean, if it was up to his feelings, I'm sure he's like, I'm out of here. I'm gone. I'm done. I'm over. Like, I'm going to see if I can at least escape. Maybe I can run away. But because he was consistent, he was able to understand, this is my strength. My consistency is my strength. His consistency was his strength. Young person, understand Your consistency is going to be your strength while you walk through junior high and through high school. While you walk through college, it's going to be your consistency, your prayer life, your your devotion time. That's going to be what gives you strength when your friends are saying, why don't you drink? Why don't you do these things? Why don't you go these places? Why, Why don't you talk like we talk? I remember in high school, my friends begging me to cuss. Like they like, literally, they were like, do you not cuss? And then they were like, they would egg me. Oh, it was brutal. And I would walk. How could I call them friends? I don't know. But they'd literally walk home. Like he lived like four houses down from me. And we'd walk home and he'd be like, hey, say this word. Say this word. How about this word? He's like, how about just this word? And I'm like, dude, like lay off. And, but they were pushing. But my consistency. Now, I'm, I wasn't perfect. Haven't been perfect my whole life. I'm still not perfect. But at that time in high school, I can pat myself on the back. Go, Brendan. But anyways, my consistency, that was my strength in those moments. Married people, your consistency is going to be what produces a greater marriage built on Jesus Christ. If you have a time of prayer together, a time of devotion together, and make it a consistent thing, it's going to be what produces a greater marriage that's going to be built on Jesus Christ. Parents, your consistency is going to be the strength that your kids need to learn to know that Christ is the center of not only their lives, but your life. 
Your kids need to know the importance of being at church when the church doors are open. Your kids need to understand the importance of prayer in good days and in bad days. Your kids need to understand that what worship is, and you know, you can hope that they catch it from Chloe or from Sister Cassandra or from Shana or one of these guys playing back here from Elizabeth, but it's you. They need to see that consistency in you. Your consistency will outdo your emotions. It's going to outdo those feelings of not wanting to give, those emotions of not wanting to get up and pray, those emotions of not wanting to go to church. Your consistency is going to be your strength. It doesn't care how you feel. And watch, watch how, watch, this is so cool. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to close. It's not even eight, so we're doing fantastic. But watch how Mordecai's consistency just lifts him through this situation. It's unbelievable. If you haven't read the book of Esther, I I, I admonish you, go do it. It's so cool. But in Esther chapter 6, I'm going to read this to you. That night, the king could not sleep. So he's already signed all the declaration. He's going to do what he has to do. But he couldn't sleep. So one was commanded, bring the book of the records of the Chronicles. And so they bring just one random book, right? Like he's in the middle of, like, wakes up, can't sleep, whatever, had something bad. I don't know. But he wakes up, and he bring me a book of the records of the Chronicles. And they were read before the king. And it was found. They opened up to a page in that book, random page. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Arias. Then the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him and said, Nothing has been done for him. So here's Mordecai living a consistent life. Sees a little coup kind of popping up over here in the corner, and he does all he has to do to take care of it. His consistent life led him to a situation where he was able to move and minister and do what he had to do. Your consistent life will move you in the right direction and put you where you need to be. And so the king, he says, what's been done for this guy? Well, nothing yet. So the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. Wow. The king's servant said to him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, huh, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought. Man, do you see the irony here? Do you see the humor? This is awesome. And the Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, uh, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before, uh, proclaim before him, the, uh, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horses, as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai, the Jew who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. How awesome is that? 
How cool is that? Here's the man wanting to destroy this other man because he won't bow, won't give in. He wants to kill his people, kind of wipe them off the mat. And, you know, in all, all of this, God is working something together, putting Esther in one place, waking the king up in the middle of the night, saying, bring me a book. They go to the library, bring the right book, open to the right page, read the right chapter with the right sentence, and read about Mordecai, all for Haman to be right outside. Don't tell me God's not working something things together for the good. Now, you might not see this in your situation. You might be like Mordecai sitting in the king's gate going, how is this going to work together? But the devil has put a gamble out saying they're going to quit before they get their promise. But you might be like Mordecai sitting out there in the king's gates going, I don't know how this is going to work out, but just know that God is waking up a king in the middle of the night and he's taking him to the right book, the right chapter, and all things are going to work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Understand this. This is my final final little blurb. Don't bow. Here's, here's my little equation for tonight. Here it is. You got it, Jason? Thanks, bro. Don't bow plus be consistent, plus God's timing equals blessings the enemies cannot stop. Don't bow, be consistent, and then just wait for God's timing. It's the worst. You know why God's timing is the worst? It's because it's not my timing. This isn't really, this isn't convenient. Come on, God. Come on, man. I've got like, I've got places to be. Christmas is coming, you know. Don't bow. Be consistent and understand God's timing. He's working it all out. He's working on your behalf. He's working on behalf of your kids. He's working on behalf of, uh, of you. He's working on behalf of your family. He's working on, on behalf of those lost loved ones. He's working on behalf of, of those finances. He's working on behalf of your business. He's working on behalf of, of you. Why? Because he's got a promise. And the devil believes that you're going to give up before that promise ever becomes a reality. But don't give up. Don't let the devil be right in this moment. You know, I I love knowing that story of Job. Job, the worst part for him is that he didn't get to have a little, you know, look into what happened in heaven before everything happened to him. But we we get that insight. And so we understand that if anything's happening in my life, it's already gone through the sovereign hand of God. If anything's touching me, if I feel like the enemy's attacking me, attacking my family, attacking my wife, attacking my finances, you know what? I can go and say, God, you've allowed this through your sovereign hand, and there's a reason you're allowing this to happen. And I know that in the end, it's all going to work together for good because I know I love God, and I know that I've been called according to his purpose. And there's not one person in this room tonight that has not been called. You've been called, every person in this room, you've been called to live a called-out life. You've been called. God's put his, his imprint on you. He's put his uh, life, laid down his life so that you could live a life called out by him. Jeremiah said, I, I, I know the plans I have for your life. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, a future to prosper you, to keep you. Here's Jeremiah, just, you know, the weeping prophet, this guy. I mean, he's, he's kind of depressed and ho-hum most of his scripture if you read through his book. But, man, he, he, he gets into these moments. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. When I was yet in the womb, you knew me. God knew you. When you were yet, before you were even breathing oxygen in this, in this earth, God knew you. Let's all stand tonight.
we leave tonight, and there's some people who have come in here, and I know you've walked in some crazy situations in your life, and maybe no one else in this room even knows what those situations are. Maybe there are some situations you've been praying about for 10 years. Maybe you've only been praying for one month. Maybe there's some situations that have been around as long as you can remember. But I just want you to know that we serve a good, good father. We serve a God who cares about your needs. We serve a God who wants to work on your behalf. And I'm telling you, this world would love nothing more for the, that you would just bow the knee, bend the knee, say, church is, is, is outdated. There's better things to be doing on Sundays and Wednesdays. There's better things to be doing than going to small groups. There's better things. But don't bow. Don't bend. And allow that consistency. I know I'm just running this over one more time because repetition, man, it's important. Be consistent with your walk with God. It's not flashy. I wish it was. I wish all, all of us were just walking through the streets every day, laying hands on the sick, and all of a sudden everyone, I wish that's the way it was. I wish, Miss Phyllis, every time you, you, you got with one of your clients, customers, you, and they said they were sick, and you prayed for them. They're, why not, right? I wish that's the way it was. I wish every time I went to cut someone's yard, man, they're like, man, I'm feeling under the weather. I laid my hand on them. I wish that, but it's not always like that. But do you know what? A consistent walk with God will put you right where you need to be, right in the right timing, right moments, and you're going to be able to minister. The way Mordecai was able to kind of get that coup taken care of, and you know what? God's working it all together for your good. So tonight, I just want us to raise our hands. You know what you're walking through. I don't know what you're walking through, but I know God knows what you're walking through. And he's working things together behind the scenes right now. He's putting the right people in the right places. And he's going to move on your behalf. In Jesus' name, God, we're praying this prayer of faith, God. We're, we're walking with you. We've been walking with you, God. And we're, we're going to trust, God, that you are going to fulfill your promises. God, the enemy's going to lose this bet. He's going to lose this bet because I'm not giving up. I'm not turning in. I'm not letting go of my kids. I'm not letting go of my marriage. I'm not letting go of my family. I'm not letting go of my church. God, the enemy's lost this time because greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. That's it. Just cry out right now in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed by the preaching of God's word. For more information on our church or Pastor Donald, or if you plan to attend one of our services, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.